Get the full bonfire experience on your screen. YouTube.com slash bonfire sports. Thumbs up, subscribe. You'll know when we're live. Enjoy the games. Back by popular demand, doing the pilgrimage podcast currently in parts unknown in eastern Saskatchewan on our way back to Winnipeg following a true classic in the 58th Labor Day game and 57th in Regina. Glad we got that one figured out uh, after uh, some discrepancy, but welcome everybody. Appreciate you uh, tuning back in. Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press, Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun. My name is Darren Bombing. Good to be with you and uh, well, we got pretty good response from the first edition of this road pod, fellas. Uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, kind of casual, just kick back, share some stories and, uh, you know, our, our perspectives on uh, the weekend. Well, we have to keep some of the stories secret after uh, a weekend in Regina, but, you know, yeah. if we want to talk football, that's all good. Um, says, honestly, the guy, says the guy who went to bed at 11 last night. Well, one <laughs> night, okay, one night. But a- anyway, you know, it's funny... At halftime, I absolutely said, this game is living up to its name. This is an absolute classic. It's 17-17. Bombers had been down 14-0. They came back to tie it up at 17, going into the half. And then it wasn't so much a classic in the second half, in my opinion. There was only four points scored in total. And it really came down to um, a great kick by Mark Legio from 55 yards out to put Winnipeg ahead. And then a, a great defensive play. Um, well, an alert defensive play by Nick Hallett to get the interception just when the Bombers absolutely needed it. And and then Winnipeg shows great, uh, you know, really well again that they're the kind of group that can grind out a few first downs to finish a game out. So um, definitely not what I would have called a classic in the second half, but the, as the Bombers have done so often this year, they pulled out a win when it looked like they might not. Holy smokes, Ted's podcast. We're just here to listen, man. Eh? Uh, I guess you took that serious. That I, some people said you were, you know, you were quiet in the last one, so you wanted to get it all out. Well, well yeah, I mean, what, what, I, you, you might accuse me of not paying attention, so I just want to show you that I did. Okay, well, there you go. You know, I, no great points. I thought, you know, whether it's whether it's just because it's magnified because it's such a special weekend and a big weekend and a big rivalry, but there always just seems to be these moments in these Labor Day games, right? Whether it's like a you know a massive return touchdown. You look at like, even if you look at the the history, right? Winnipeg hasn't had a lot of success, but there's been a lot of close games, a lot of down to the wire. As we you know we said all week, throw out the records. It doesn't really matter which each team you know which each team's headed in which direction at this point of the season. It's always a battle and. You know, that's certainly what it was. I mean, I thought that the I thought the bombers were done. I mean, you looked at the momentum that the riders had early on, and that was that was nuts. And then all of a sudden, you have that second quarter, and you think, okay, I was getting messages on Twitter being like, you know, you understand this is a second half club, and I'm like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, no, I've covered them, um, <laughs> but it was still down to the wire, and just to have those, you know. Have, have a big kick like a Mark Leggio kick. I mean, no one thought he was going to make that one, 55 yards. That was asking asking him to do a lot in a hostile More than he's ever done. And then, the, you know, and then as we've seen in the past in this, this stadium, like whether it was off the crossbar, and again, I know that wasn't Labor Day Classic, but we've had all these crazy moments at Mosaic. It's a it's an interception when they were in in range to win the game. So as, as, as you said, DB, like true classic in its truest sense. What stood out to me was how quickly Saskatchewan got in front, right? Two scores, critical takeaway. I honestly was thinking, 
you know, early second quarter, you know, before Winnipeg was able to kind of punch a couple scores was, are they going to be able to ride this momentum and, and just come away with, with a heavy victory? That, that was a conversation by, you know, fans and, and media members in the days leading up to the game was, hey, yeah, sure, Winnipeg's favored by three and a half and, and you know, maybe they're the better club overall, but you never know what's going to happen. And when it was 14 nothing. I was like, holy cow, Frankie Hickson, you know, breaking tackles for five foot eight, 200 pounds. Like, what a player. Uh, you have to put him in the conversation for most outstanding rookie this season. Titus Wall, Dalton Schoen, they'll, uh, you know, it's not as, as uh, runaway, I think, as, as people think. But this is my question to you guys. This is what I really want to know. What was more impressive, Mark Leggio's 55 yard game winner or the weave he made to avoid a tackler and to get that punt away, which ended up, you know, he didn't get all of it, but it turned into a pretty good net punt overall. Well, it traveled 49 yards, so that's a pretty good punt yeah. in general, and he did it on the run after uh, stepping uh, aside from a couple of would-be blockers, and I mean, for sure, I, it looked like the Riders players probably could have just tackled him, but they went for the block, and he, he did a nice move, and he talked about that because earlier in the season he had a similar situation. He tried to run, he was tackled. So there you go. He's learning from these uh, these mistakes that he's made in the past, and he really seemed to have learned from his very poor performance in the game against Montreal, which uh, ultimately cost the Bombers a win. You know, he missed from 32 yards. It was a complete shank. It was. Uh, it looked like he had no confidence whatsoever, and then he also missed in overtime the bombers i know mike o'shea the players everybody seemed to spend some time really trying to pump his tires and make him know that they had his back and that seemed to really affect him well he's played well since and that's a huge kick from 55 yards i mean it was a perfect kick it was right down the middle on the road um he you know he he just looked confident and good and it's it's massive because honestly if he misses that kick even though it's from 55 yards you would say that you know people aren't going to blame him too much because it's the longest kick he's ever tried in his career but the fans here absolutely want to see a field goal kicker come through and this time he did i just think it would have solidified a lot of people's beliefs that legio couldn't get the job done so now that question is True. is wide open like how reassured should people be of, of mark legio getting the job done when winnipeg needs him to well, do you want, should we answer that question or your first one? Because you you know, you know, went on again and didn't answer the actual question. I don't know. Take don't, it away, Jeff. I think it's a tie. <laughs> I think it's a tie. Because you need to hit that 55-yarder or, you know, you're in a lot of trouble to win the game, obviously. But correct me if I'm wrong, but was it not 14 nothing for Saskatchewan when, when, when he evaded that, that tackle? So you, you tackle him there, yeah. you turn over the ball. Maybe that is the maybe that is the final dagger. Maybe it's twenty-one nothing. Maybe it's maybe it's seventeen nothing, right? And it's a it's a different game. Uh, so I thought that moment was intense. To your point, Teddy, I think it, it's you know for him to to learn from that Calgary game where he you know just rushed and got tackled and it was just whatever for him to be you know to because that's what Michael Shea says, right? Like you're it's okay to make the mistake once, but if you make the same mistake again, and it's not just Michael Shea saying that; it's all coaches. They want you to learn. But I thought. You know what? That was a key game. It was a key game for his his trust. And let's face it: you talk about the team support. That's the DNA of this team. But let's not let's not let's not kid around here. There was lost trust in them. Yeah. You know the team. You know the players. It's easy to, to, to you know slap a guy in the back and say you know live to you know we believe fight another day. We yeah. believe in you. And it's middle of the season, and it was your first loss in ten games. 
you know so but but it, you, you you don't make kicks like that and people are like okay well now they're worried about the playoffs well that you know I said after that game I mean, after that Montreal game I said I don't know what what, what Mark Leggio can do to build that wow build that trust the car the car's got a mind of its own apparently <laughs> just boosted us to 147 to get past this car anyway don't incriminate uh, yourself don't yeah, incriminate no yourself doubt, no doubt but uh anyway so but 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 then i you know you look at kicks like that and he's not getting called out to do kicks like that like it was you know and, and so he gets called out to do it he hits it and now that narrative changes now he is starting to do things that make you okay maybe this guy is a solution down the stretch i was really impressed with Zach Kolaris. His numbers in the first half, much better than in the second. But when they needed Kolaris to make plays, he made plays. That deep shot to Nick Dembski, uh, you know, Dembski did a great job adjusting his body, making that kind of off-balance, over-the-head basket catch on Derek Moncrief, of all players. Um, and then the way Kolaris, it, it seems to almost be like, by design to have a broken play or an extended play and have him roll out of the pocket. On both of those touchdowns, to Dembski and Deshaun, Kolaris put it right where only his guy could get it. I don't think people um, truly appreciate um, how difficult that is to do, especially, you know, a 50-yard shot to Dembski and, and one on the run, uh, you know, with, with Schoen getting his toes in out of bounds. Um, the numbers at the end of the game were very Matt Nichols is what I described them on the postgame show, right? Like 200-odd yards, 63%, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Nothing earth-shattering, but he got it done when they needed and uh, put up points when, when Winnipeg really needed him the most. That was in the first half. How many times have we seen that, DB, this year where the opposing quarterback actually has more yards, you know, uh, and, and then Kolaros has a fairly pedestrian uh, yardage total and maybe even a, he had a pretty com pedestrian completion percentage at only 63%, but he has those two big touchdowns, and those are huge throws, and they're not short ones either, you know, it's uh, it's plays where he really had to do something with it, and he has such trust in these receivers, he talked a lot about all three of those guys, or, or Dembski and Dalton Schoen, and he also talked a lot about Drew Wolitarski being a guy who can uh, handle the scramble plays really well, and um, that works so well with a quarterback like Kalaros because they're shown how many times Shona has nine touchdowns this year I don't even know how many of them are on scramble plays but it's got to be 50% at, at least. least and and you know and, which is now tied with Dominique Grimes right for the, the best field. in the league so I think yeah. there's your front runner for rookie of the year no doubt about it but you know Dembski made a catch there that we were all still uh, wowed about when we were just watching the highlights because he made a fantastic adjustment and the way he made the adjustment completely threw Moncrief off. Moncrief was going the other direction. Right. And it, you know, I just, I love the trust that Kalaros has to make plays like that. And he's got receivers who come through for him. Absolutely. I mean, let's go to the Nick Dempsey touchdown real quick. Like that over, like that was an incredible catch over the shoulder. I mean, you know, we saw Nick Dempsey, what was it? The Calgary game that he came back earlier in the season. He got one touchdown that game, but he dropped that ball early on. It was very similar in, you know, in, in, in difficulty, right? It looks like it should be easy, but the over the shoulder is like one of the toughest grabs you can make that aren't circus catches, right? You know, and so for him to reel it in, but what that was the perfect pass. I mean, it was the perfect area for him to beat Moncrief and to have that guy kind of draped on you as you walk into the end zone. Like that yeah. was highlight reel. 
Uh, and same thing for Dalton Schoen, you know, same story. To your point, DB, like, has that window, that small window to give it to him. And it's funny because Drew Wolitarski, you know, you, oh, he you, thought that was, you, coming, to that was coming to him. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, Dalton Schoen, for him to be able to, to stay in bounds and, and, and make that play, I mean, that's perfect. That's perfect throw. But it's, it's also perfect catch in, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, Zach Cloros is just, you know, he's a beast, man. I mean, it's, it's, he's, he's, they need, that's exactly what Saskatchewan needs. And we'll get into them because they're an absolute tire <laughs> fire. But, you know, they need a guy like that, right? Like, that's kind of what the Bombers were before. Got, you know, they could get the job done, wins, losses, but they couldn't, you know, didn't have a guy who, who could make those plays that we see Zach Didn't Clark. they have a guy like that at one point? That guy? <laughs> you know, I mean, Zach Caleros was in Saskatchewan, yeah. and he did not excel the way that he has in Winnipeg. It's uh, There's something much more, he's much more comfortable in this offense run by Buck Pierce and before that Paul Apolise than he was when he was with the Riders. You can just tell that um, this suits him, and he's been excellent in all of his time in Winnipeg. I mean, how many times has he even really lost? It's, it's really quite impressive. I think it was Stephen McAdoo who was the OC of, of Sask at that time, but last thought I had on, on Nick Dembski the, the catch, the throw, all of that was great but Derek Moncrief you know, Zach Clark's described as a special player. I loved the route that Nick Dembski ran Moncrief is a linebacker he can cover, he can play safety and corner because of how physically gifted he is but he is a big bodied guy that is essentially a weak side linebacker playing the dime and to send Nick Dembski from that right side of the field to the far corner, like a wide side corner, to make uh, Moncrief turn his hips and, and really have to run with Dembski, I thought was a great thing, um, a great way to get a deep shot on a defense that uh, you know was probably trying to defend uh, against that. You mentioned Drew Wolitarski, caught all four yeah. balls thrown his way, all of them were second down conversions. He is a lot better than people give him credit for, uh, just makes the catches, when, again, like similar to Claris, the numbers don't jump off the page, but clutch when they need him to be. Classic example of a guy whose stats don't tell the whole story. Yeah. You know, he, he's not asked. And the and the crazy thing is that he might be on pace for some okay numbers. I, I, you know, I remember looking a few weeks ago, it wasn't the case, but he, he had he's had a couple better games, like yardage-wise, over the last few weeks here. But um, he's the guy who gets asked to do a lot of the physical stuff, a lot of the blocking, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the decoys. And... And, and, and is told and is committed to, you talk about scrambling, I mean, there is no better scrambling receiver than, than Drew Wolitarski. I mean, he comes up with massive second down catches. He, he, he always gets open. He, you know, and Zach Claros has said this time and time again, just the reliability in this guy to, to catch balls. And we all know what he's like, man. I mean, you talk about guys that, guy. you know, you want to, you know, you don't cheer for teams, but you, you want to see individuals that you that you get to know and whatever and learn about over time. Like, there is no real better guy than this guy. So he's having a career. You can make the argument he's having a career year, and he's just, he's Mr. Clutch when it comes down to it. Well, you know, you, you made all the points there, Jeff, but I would like to go and, when I get home, have a look and see how many of his catches were on second down and how many of them were in the fourth quarter because that's when he shines. And it goes back even to the Grey Cup last year when they hadn't thrown the ball to him all day and then in the fourth quarter yes. he caught four passes. I mean, yeah. the guy comes through when you really need him. And, uh, you know, again, you're right. You know, when we looked at this receiving core at the start of the year, it looked kind of pedestrian. We didn't really know who was going to be the standout to make this receiving core really good. Well, 
you know, Drew Walatarski to me has been better than I expected and a really, really big part of this offense. I'll send this pitch right down the plate for you guys to uh, take a swing at any way you want. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are 6-6, six and six, and you could kind of talk about almost anything in that organization and, you know, describe something that went wrong this year. Your take on the Riders in 2022. Just well, going to need a while here. Oh, man. <laughs> like, it's their great cup year, <laughs> right? Talk, and everything talk, is... You want to talk about going to the buffet? You know, <laughs> humor me right now. Absolute train wreck from top to bottom. I can't think of a single element of that team from in the boardrooms to on the field uh, to, to coaching staff to players that is, is, is more of a gong show than this than this organization. And, and you know, it, it's just... And, and the crazy thing about it is because of their standing as the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. There's nothing else here, right? There is nothing else here. They, they have, you know, there's an obvious great Winnipeg fan base, Saskatchewan. I mean, we can make the argument they got the craziest, most rabid, most dedicated fans. And so the Riders know that. So all of this dysfunction that they have is wrapped in in this incredible amount of arrogance for a team in a league that didn't even play two years ago in 2020. And it's not changed the way they view things since COVID knocked them out for a year and they were irrelevant. And, it, and you look at this season, DC, like DC, DB, you, you look at this season and and you look at the, you know, as you mentioned, great cup year. I mean, look at all the crap they've had to deal with. I mean, we could talk, we could talk, we could have a podcast about Duke Williams. We could have a podcast about, you know, <laughs> Garrett Marino. We could talk, Marino. you know, about, the, but, but what it comes down to, and if you want to talk about about the team, it starts with Craig Dickinson. I think Craig Dickinson is actually, you know, is in the. It, we're, I'm in a situation. I feel he's in a situation right now where he doesn't. He shouldn't be the head coach. Yeah, I think I agree. He, he should be fired. Like I, I, the dis, the lack of discipline on on the riders is palpable. It's embarrassing. It's pathetic. There's absolutely no uh, leadership from the coaching staff, and more. And, and that transitions because I could talk for an hour about it. Transitioning to the players, there is no leadership group on their team. No. Who's the like you know you ask the people down there you ask the writers you ask the people who cover this team on a daily basis who's the leader on that team yeah. and and at times they had mentioned it was Duke Williams yeah, now right. we can get into Duke Williams after these we each have our rant here but like like there is when you don't have that you don't have a locker room that runs itself the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have that we all know they've had they've had it for years it's why they're why they're the class of the league it starts with the Adam Big Hills the Willie Jeffersons the Zach Clarises you know. Pat Newfeld, you, you could literally go up and, that's the thing, you could name probably 15, 20 guys and all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, that's a little bit beyond a leadership core, but that's the case there and it's absolutely non-existent in Regina. Yeah, it's the exact opposite in Regina, I mean, you, you, you go and we asked them, our media colleagues last night when we were out having a bite after the game, you know, who are the leaders on this team? And they had to ponder it for a while and they came up with the name Larry Dean, who's their weak side linebacker and a veteran and a very good player and I mean, yeah, so that... And, and I imagine Derek Moncrief's a guy like that as well. And but that's—it's hard to come up with those names. You could rattle off ten guys on Winnipeg who are really good leaders. Starting with Caleros, you got Stanley Bryant. You know, you've got uh, Nick Dembski. You've got Jesse all, Briggs and Mike so Miller. many. You know, my yeah. Adam Bighill and Willie Jefferson. And like you said, um, those names are all on there. And but the problem to me is Craig Dickinson's inability to deal with the problems in that organization on his own team throughout this year as far as I'm concerned and yeah this is an opinion coming from outside Saskatchewan for sure 
they should have cut Garrett Marino the minute he intentionally injured Jeremiah Masoli and celebrated it on the field. I do not understand for one second how he wasn't cut before he even got to the locker room after he was kicked out of that game. It's just, they, 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 you know, they're letting the inmates run the asylum by doing that. Duke Williams comes out the next week, throws a helmet at somebody, he gets suspended. And I mean, to top it all off, not even in the lineup yesterday, Duke Williams takes an objectionable conduct penalty on the sideline and costs the riders who take way too many penalties. There's no discipline going on there. And of course, we haven't even touched on it yet. Garrett Marino gets his name into the, you know, into the into the game by laying a tourist hit on Zach Claros late in the game. And, you know, there's debate as to how that's going to be treated by the league. I just don't understand how he doesn't make an example of some people and 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 change what's going on with the, the discipline on that team. And I, I think Craig Dickinson's run out of time at this point. Okay, so ha- hang on on Garrett Marino because we're yeah, definitely... Yeah, like we could be talking an hour about this for those guys. For sure. But I wanted to, to offer this up. So Daniela Potticelli does uh, sideline reporting for the Riders radio broadcasts. Winnipegger, uh, old college friend of mine, great person. She's the first female play-by-play voice in U-Sports football history. Uh, she was on the sidelines, and this is what she tweeted after the game. Duke Williams' penalty... incurred uh, as an undressed player will change who the Rough Riders allow on the sidelines. Moving forward, only dressed players will be allowed on the sidelines, says Riders head coach Craig Dickinson. It's not like they anticipated that penalty to happen. But to me, that after-the-fact point made by Craig Dickinson is so indicative of how dysfunctional this team is. It's like they're chasing their tail. They have no plan in place to ensure that, you know, their quote-unquote leaders are leading. Like, Duke Williams is there in, like, you know, street clothes and sunglasses, and he's, you know, charging his team 15 yards in a tight football game. Like, it's just unbelievable. You know, Jeff, you called it a train wreck. I don't think there's a better way to put it. It is absolutely, you know, uh, car after car piled up on one another and just a huge mess of a derailment in Ryderville right now in a Grey Cup year of all years. The context of that co- comment by, by Dickinson about Duke Williams posting that you mentioned about Daniello, he meant, he did say, like, it, it was just a response to the, the thing, right? He, he just, Craig Dickinson is a is a very nice guy. Yeah, great so, guy. So for him to address, like, that just, that to me was just air. Because what he said was, you know, I, it's not, I guess it's not as dramatic as they're going to overhaul who they have there. He just didn't know how to answer the question or explain the actions of a player. And I think, like you said, yeah. that's indicative of what the, the entire season has looked like as far as, like, accountability and control of your, of, of your, of your players. But in that time, he also said, unless that person has a meaningful coaching job. Right. So it's not like he's going to have this rule where anybody who's in, in, you know, in civilian clothes can't be on the sideline. He's just saying the donkeys need to get, you know, get, <laughs> need to get out of the way if they're not going to be, you know, pr- you know, productive. And here's another thing. Well, let's get into, let's get into Duke Williams because, you know, the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders still have a tweet on yeah. their on their account about Duke Williams and saying, is there a better hype man in the CFL as he's waving a towel and it says, we'll wait. Like, how embarrassing is that for them? Duke Williams, you mentioned all the, you know, a a couple different things in the selfishness. There's a guy who I gouged Brandon Alexander during one of the games and there was a big commotion. There's a guy who has spit on players. You know, there's a guy who is clearly in it for himself. And it's just, it's absolutely destructive 
that the idea that this guy would be considered a leader on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders tells you exactly why they're a six and six team because they, you know, they're not consistent in their approach on the field and nearly, you know, to the same degree they're not consistent to their approach off it. The hit Garrett Marino put on Zach Kolaris, not penalized in the game. You watch the replay, and I understand it's slowed down, but it was pretty clear to me Marino knew where the ball was, and he knew that Kolaris had tossed that ball away and it was going to the other side of the field. Even in slow motion, I understand that that definitely um, emphasizes what happens compared to real time. But it sure looked like Marino saw that ball go and then kind of loaded up his legs and hits Zach Kolaris. Hands up immediately like, oh, yeah, just incidental collision, what have you. Then the tweet after the game saying, I haven't taken a penalty since whatever. And then the, you know, the sleepy Z's emoji. Um, what, what more can be said about this guy? Is he making a mockery of the Canadian Football League? I mean, he's, like, when you have the reputation that he's built, when you actually made a decision to go and try to injure Jeremiah Masoli and were successful and then celebrated it, um, then you have, your, your reputation is mud, and so does anyone believe that he didn't know what he was doing with Zach Kolaros? Of course they don't. You know, it wasn't incidental, and, um... Caleros was lucky, you know, he, he could have been hurt there, he could have hurt his shoulder, could have smacked no doubt his head. about it, he could have smacked his head, yeah. um, the Bombers weren't crazy up in arms about it after the game, you know, they were sort of trying to decide just how mad about it they were, but, yeah. uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the league takes a look at that one, and it, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, but when it's Garrett Marino, yeah. you know, why would you believe anything other than that he's trying to hurt somebody, because that's kind of what he does. I know one person who wasn't debating, you know, how the seriousness of that hit, and that was Zach Kolaris. Yeah. You know, you can see it on his face when he got up. Yeah, he did he, look he looked over, he saw, not, you know, and, and let's say this. You say he could have hurt his head. I'm not trying to speculate or anything like that. But you get hit on a shoulder. Or you get, yeah. you know, it's like walking into a wall. Yeah. You know what I mean? He didn't know he was He was blindsided, right? Yeah. He, didn't, he, he, couldn't, he, he, he yeah. couldn't brace for the hit. He couldn't absorb it. It was, it was, a, it was a, out, you know, he had already hand the ball off. There's no right for him to be hit there or contacted or touched and then you want to see Garrett Marino's hands kind of go up like as if oh well his hands are up so clearly he didn't mean to hit right. him so the, so the 340 pounds that he hit him with didn't matter well exactly <laughs> and I mean you mentioned you mentioned his tweet about you know not having pen not not being penalized since he's returned in two games <laughs> you know completely ignores the fact that he was fined in his very first game for for the hit on 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 you know that that hit on, on Peter yeah on the offensive lineman on BC uh which should have been called in the game a flag, just like this one should have been called a flag. You know, it should have been a thrown a flag. So, you, you know, the fact that they find you for a play tells you that the refs missed it. Right. You know, it's not that you, it wasn't a penalized play, but a finable play. Like, how dumb do you look? But this guy's an absolute menace. He's he's ridiculous. Like, he's been in the league for 14 games. <laughs> or this is his 15th game. He's been ejected twice. He's been suspended, I think, twice. He's been fined three times. Like, what more do you need? I mean, this guy, you know, and then and then you hear about the latest reports leading into this week about how he was, you know, you know, visibly upset that he was, quote-unquote, not a starter because the depth chart was in behind. Well, guess what, Marino? If you weren't a starter, you wouldn't be on this team. Guys get cut for significantly less than yeah. he has. But when it comes down to it, and I think this hit on Zach Caleros is the perfect example 
among others, of course, is that this guy just can't help himself. That's like he's true. one of those guys who, whether he means well or whether he's a, you know good to some teammates or or whatever, when it comes to these kind of situations and exploiting vulnerable situations, he just can't help himself. You know, it really bothered me that when there was that uh, discussion about Marino being upset about being listed second on the depth chart uh, for the previous game, mm-hmm. you know. There comes Craig Dickinson out again and basically blames himself for it. He says it's our our own communication, uh, coaching staff's fault. Everything's fine with this guy. Like, I mean, they just keep enabling yeah. Garrett Marino to keep being the menace that he is, as, uh, to use the word that Jeff coined. I mean, I really do not understand the team's approach to this. I haven't from the beginning. And to me, they would have been a lot better off to cut him the minute he took that action against Jeremiah Masoli. The precise type of play Blue Bombers fans were anxious about possibly happening in the Labor Day Classic happened. And when I say Zach Kolaris could have smacked his head, it was very close to actually happening. You could smack your head on the turf. Some of the worst concussions football players suffer are when they get hit onto their back and the head bounces off of off the turf. Um, it was fortunate Kolaris was able to get an arm down because, yeah, like like you said, Jeff, it completely blindsided him. Did not see it coming. If Kolaris wasn't smart to, you know, get his arm down or able to get his arm down, however, um, it could have turned out a lot worse than it did. So I, I think um, all things considered, you know, you wake up in the morning as a, as a Blue Bomber fan, I'm sure you're, you're counting your blessings that, uh, you know, QB1 is, is in good shape and... Um, seemingly good to go for the Banjo Bowl. So what leads into this immediate rematch six days later, Saturday afternoon at a sold-out IG field? I forgot to mention this before we move on to this week. I forgot to, because I, just before I forget, with, with uh, Craig Dickinson, that challenge. Oh, God. <laughs> that challenge. The OPI, the OPI on challenge. Ah, and yeah. so we obviously, I mean, we, we, all, we all get the opportunity to watch, I mean, they obviously get the opportunity to watch the highlight, get the reviews, right? I mean, that's that's what you do. Mike O'Shea will never, unless there's a player who's adamant and that trust is a whole different level, and I think it's a bit tougher in those situations, Mike O'Shea needs to see evidence. Coaches need to see evidence of things. So there's no doubt in my mind that someone had a, you know, a computer there, was looking at an iPad or whatever, and showing them, and, and they would have seen the push-off, right? They would have seen the, the two-hand push-off. And then, and then, so we're all thinking, what the hell? Obviously, it doesn't happen, or they, it, it doesn't get overturned. The place, the place stands. And then Craig Dickinson says after the game that he he knew they weren't going to win, but he wanted to show support for his offense. <laughs> what okay. is going on here? Literally, he cost this team a timeout, and they no longer had a challenge. They no longer had a challenge. I mean, to, to show, to his show team, support. Come on. The only thing he showed his offense is that he's inept at making challenges. Here's my prediction about Craig Dickinson. Mark Killam gets a job, gets a job somewhere else, and, and Dave Dickinson hires his brother to be the special teams coach <laughs> at, at Calgary. Last thing I say about him, and that's the worst part because Craig Dickinson is a terrific human being. He is, you know, he is a really nice guy. He's somebody who we all like and respect, and it just doesn't seem like he's got a grasp on things this year. I think yeah. DB, you were asking us to lead into the Banjo Bowl. I do think I, last year certainly the Banjo Bowl was there was some nastiness going on and yeah. Garrett Marino was involved in it then as well and uh, you know I do think that that's probably going to be the case when teams play back to back I do believe there's going to be some bad blood at IG Field this weekend I, and, and in talking to Cody Fajardo before this game 
he put a real importance on the Riders winning at home because they knew they're going into Winnipeg. They got to play them twice more this month, and it's not an easy place to win. And the Bombers are playing extremely good football for most for the most part this season. And the Riders are what they are, what we've been talking about for all this time. I think that's a really tough loss for the Riders, and I mean. There's, they're in a pretty good position to be a crossover team to the East, but, you know, they're not going to be able to afford a whole lot more losses. I mean, those teams in the East got to play each other, so yeah. there is going to be some teams coming up close to them uh, at some point soon. They're desperate. They're 6-6. Six and six. They lose next week, which is very likely going to happen. It's a tough place to play, as we know. It's sold out. So all the issues that the Bombers had to deal with this week with the, you know, not being able to communicate verbally and having to do you know signals and all that stuff all the wrinkles that, that you have to add to an offensive package when you play in a hostile environment is everything the riders are going to have to deal with this week what's to think that they're going to even come close yeah. i mean this like you said this was like cody fajardo said this was their opportunity this past week to to at you know ideally for them win one out of three games you know what i mean yeah. i mean two out of three would have been a massive achievement uh, against the you know given what we've seen from this year but to go down to six and seven with a loss you're starting to flirt with the East. Absolutely. Yeah. And you you know what I mean? Like, if you lose two more games to the Bombers, you, and you start getting further and further below 500, all of a sudden, fourth place is no longer, a, you know, no longer a game. Well, yeah. you got to have a better record yeah, than that team record. in the East well, that, exactly. to do the crossover. Um, <laughs> you know what's funny, too, though, just quickly, DB? Yeah. You're talking about the riders going into Winnipeg and having trouble uh, with, you know, facing that loud crowd and, and all the issues. That They took two time count violations at, the, at home. Yeah. You know, when the crowd wasn't making a peep. One of which started a series. Yeah, <laughs> it was the I first mean, play what the, the heck series. is going on? Well, I don't know if you guys noticed this. I mentioned to you briefly, like, when we were grabbing a bite to eat after the game. I thought Winnipeg did an exemplary job communicating on offense and... If you notice, they were doing like a hurry-up style offense late in the game. And it's almost like the Ryder crowd waited until the Bombers were at the line of scrimmage. Zach Kolaris was talking. Right, and the crowd was still quiet. And then when they get to the line of scrimmage and the, you know, the center goes down, Kolonkowski grabs the football, then the crowd would swell and, and the volume would rise. Too late. If you're a Bomber fan and you want to affect... Uh, Cody Fajardo and and the Rough Riders offense in the Banjo Bowl, you got to be loud while they're in the huddle. You got to be loud while they're walking to the line of scrimmage. Uh, Winnipeg did a great job against that. Um, now the tables have turned, and, and we'll see how Saturday shakes out. We didn't mention the uh, headshot on Greg McRae. No, I mean it, it certainly looked like one. I think it was. I think it was handled appropriately. Yep. A penalty and uh, and move on. But, but a scary you know, moment. Those are well. Those plays are, are obviously dangerous, and um, you know it's a defenseless receiver, and the CFL has to make sure they do things about that. I know the Rough Riders fans weren't happy about it, but they never seem to be happy about much of anything when the Riders aren't winning. So yeah, you know, I guess that uh, that explains that. But yeah, it, it is important that the league watches for those things because that looked dangerous. And you could add the you could add the checkbox list to uh, you know what the Riders suck at is in the press box and the boohoo media but uh, they don't have the window there's no like so it's a the, can't the, even hear the atmosphere, hear the atmosphere yeah. because it's a closed press box which is 
kind of unheard of in a lot of ways. You know, like it's, and, you know, it's great for the November and stuff like that. You know, oh, every, every, well, everybody has clothes, but no option to clothes, open them in the but summer. But no option to yeah. open them in the summer. And one of the one of what I find is one of the key things in covering games is being able to take in that atmosphere. Absolutely. And I, I can certainly say, you know, particularly over the last few home games for the Bombers in particular, that getting that environment at, or that environment has been incredible. I mean, it's been palpable. Like they, they are the loudest crowd. Yeah. For sure in the CFL. I went to the last game and sat in the stands. I was on vacation. And I just wanted to go and experience it from a different angle. And, uh, you know, I can attest that is uh, that is one heck of a atmosphere. And the fans are absolutely right into it. And uh, it's going to be even crazier on Saturday, I'm sure. So at 11-1, the Bombers have clinched a playoff berth. Uh, and it's early September. A lot can be said about that. But for you guys... You know, and myself too. We know how that question is going to be answered by the players and the coaches. It doesn't matter to them that that has already happened. But big picture, what does it mean for Winnipeg that they're where they are right now at 11 and one? Still, two more games against the Rough Riders. Two more games against BC. Of course, with no Nathan Rourke, we're expected to see Vernon Adams Jr. Uh, at some point. No more games against Calgary. I'm sure they're going to meet in the playoffs. But it being what is it, September 5th today? They're 11 and one and in a playoff spot. What does that mean? Well, it means that something crazy would have to happen for them to not host the West Final on November 13th. That's the bottom line. I mean, the Lions to me, are the only team that can possibly catch them. And we have no idea how that team is going to look with uh, Vernon Adams at the controls and uh, Nathan Rourke out now. So, I mean, there's a bit of a wild card there with the Lions, and they do play the Bombers twice more. But, you know, I, I think the Bombers are a couple of wins away from wrapping up first place, and yeah. uh, and then and they're going to host the West Final again. Well, that's what I was going to say. I like, mean, to answer your question, I mean, very little, right? Or, yeah. or what it says is the East sucks. Right, because they, right. Like, I mean, exactly. I mean, they, they, what they they didn't clinch, you know, a spot in the West. They clinched a, a crossover minimum, right. right? Like, I mean, something bad would have to happen in their season significantly mm-hmm. for them to have that situation. I mean, you know, those I believe, you know, very often, often we hear players say ridiculous shit, right? Like, oh, we don't know our record. We don't know, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> like okay. Who are we but, playing? But next I week? believe them. I believe. <laughs> I believe Nick Dembski when he looks at you and you ask that question, or who, maybe whatever who asked the question about the clinching the playoff berth. Maybe it was Eddie, but um, you know he, he said I didn't even know that until right. you told me. And I, I believe him because at what player in the Bombers locker room doesn't think they're making Cares the playoffs? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like you know yeah. what I mean? Like whether it's now or, or later, they know that they're in a you know in a race. And I mean clearly, as you mentioned, the BC Lions and their situation. I think they're going to be better, you know, with Vernon Adams and say Michael O'Connor or, or Antonio Pipkin. And, and I truly believe if, if even if they do play crappy football, which for them, let's say, it would be four, 500 football, so they got eight games remaining four losses, four wins, they'd still be a 12-16. and 16. So, you know, that's not going to be good enough to eclipse the Bombers for first place. So I'm with you. I think the Bombers, I think that's when we start asking some questions. What does it mean when they wrap up the division? And I think we know exactly what, what they're going to do because they did the exact same thing last year. They're going to continue to play week in and week out. I mean, guys who have... Rest some guys. More, yeah, you know, guys, guys who have 
some significant injuries or whatever banged up, they might keep one or two guys out, but they can't sit everybody for multiple games. So, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting situation in a few weeks if and when they lock up the West, but the sea is parted for them. I mean, this is a team that's, that's sailing, essentially, to first place in the West, uh, and, and we could have that answer depending on how the Lions do here in the next, whatever, two or three weeks before the end of, end of September. As far as big picture, I think the happiest individual with the playoff clinch is Wade Miller and the business operations of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, you know, uh, another gate, another opportunity to sell some pops and some hot dogs and the rest. Uh, that's a huge boon to the bottom line for the Blue Bombers in, in 2022. This news doesn't even guarantee yeah, them a whole playoff game. No, but I'm just that. saying, hey, there's there's a lot of games left. That, so. that news of cl clinching at least the second place will be the box, you know, because they'll have at least that, you know, or no, it would be second place. But it is a huge difference maker, as you say, because when the Bombers went on the road to win the Grey Cup in 2019, yeah. it cost them a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, travel playing that home game makes all kinds of difference. Oh, so, massive. You know, obviously that's what they want, and I mean, the odds of them not playing a home game this year in the playoffs are pretty low. So here we are, still in parts unknown in southeastern Saskatchewan. I'm looking forward to uh, getting home, guys. I, I know you are too, and many others making this uh, pilgrimage trip back east home to uh, Manitoba. But what makes Labor Day so special? I know we touched on it on the drive out on the pod, but, you know, driving home, uh, you know, Monday, uh, you know, mopes or whatever you want to call it uh, as we head home you know those thoughts that go through your mind when thinking back on the weekend uh, the game all of the energy and everything of course knowing that we're going to do this all over again at IG Field on Saturday well you know I'll go first Jeff and, and I mean I, I don't want to steal your thunder because I know you might say this but the first couple of nights that we were there it actually seemed pretty quiet yeah. like this was a fairly tame uh, Labor Day Classic in terms of the atmosphere outside of the stadium it was obviously a sold-out crowd, and there was good atmosphere there. Um, but you didn't see a ton of what we've seen in the past of Bomber and Ryder fans getting together in the, in the bars and having their great debates. Um, yeah, there's the one place I like when we went for breakfast yesterday at that restaurant, Fresh and Sweet. Uh, that always makes me feel like the later, Labor Day Classic is on in yeah. there because the staff are wearing jerseys. There's blue and white, uh, blue and green jerseys in there, and they even have their little contest of which team's logo on the pancakes gets sold more. and. That one always kind of makes me feel like you're really in it. And there's really nowhere else in this country where you're going to get an experience like that. It's just the games aren't important enough in most other markets. So that's what I like about it the most. The Labor Day Classic is the reason most people are in Regina on that weekend. And I think that's uh, that's a lot of fun. You know, to, yeah, I, I had said, you know, I was looking forward to, be, forward to this year kind of being a bit of a comeback year, more, more chaos, if you will, in the streets. But, you know, I talked to a few people around Regina, and as much as it was dead built downtown, there's absolutely no doubt about it. It, it, it. it was not nearly what we're used to in previous years. I think that also is a testament to, to the city having other pockets that are more populated. I don't think it's just, you know, because I had heard there were a bunch of parties at different places, and they were busy and packed and, and whatever. But, you know, that's not something to dwell dwell you know at right now because it was a great weekend i mean it it's always a fun weekend it's it, to me what makes it so special because i can we can only really talk as scribes right because i mean it's not like we're going down there in a tour bus with a bunch of bomber right. fans and you know drinking mimosas at 9 a.m and, <laughs> and you know what i mean and, and and starting all day and having those funny stories with your buddies that maybe got too inebriated i mean i had a couple of those in my late teens 
um, but you know that that's not our experience but but it's damn close <laughs> you know what I mean it's 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 a mini great cup I it mean is. we work hard we do we work hard they're long days but man we party hard and those first couple nights and the dinners and our colleagues I mean we, we'd be remiss if we did not mention you know how special our colleagues are here in Saskatchewan great how people. close we are with them and you know and, and, and not and, and them you know, going the extra mile and joining us in every everything, time. you know, every, every time. time, putting dinners together, making sure that, you know, we're celebrating in, in real fashion, uh, you know, a, a great long weekend. And it, and it certainly lived up um, to all of that and more. And, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, as much as I give this city a, a rough time and, and make funny jokes about it, um, I certainly love this trip. I love hanging out, uh, you know, whether it's working or, 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 you know, having a few pops at night. Um, and again, this this weekend was 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 certainly uh, was certainly one to remember. What I take away is thinking about the Great Cup upcoming in this city. Regina is a small town, right? And, you know, I talked about it. They on can Af throw a party. They can definitely throw a party. And I talked about it with uh, the Schnitz on on After Dark last night. Uh, the cultures in Central Canada here on the prairies are similar. You know, say what you want about the rivalry in the town and, and all that. We're essentially the same people, and I think we have a lot of the same, you know, we come from very similar upbringings. Uh, that all said, Regina is a small town. You know, you, you go to Great Cups in Ottawa, especially Toronto. Um, Whoa, Ottawa was good. Ottawa was good. Ottawa like, was but good. Hamilton was good. They were great, great cups. No, you go to Toronto. But it's those ones that are not as centralized, right? A Regina Grey Cup this November is going to be very central. Everybody is going to be within, you know, a small square mileage, uh, you know, in downtown and, and around Mosaic and, and the rest. Uh, it's going to be hard to get a hotel room, hard to get an Airbnb, all of that. But uh, I think it's going to be a special Grey Cup. Can't imagine the riders being in it. But uh, whomever is in that game, the energy in that city, I think, is going to be really, really strong because it's such a small market, such a small town and, and really limited um, spots, really good spots, but limited overall as far as how far you can venture out and, um, you know, uh, get maybe get away from the action if, if that's what you want to do. I think that would be really hard to do uh, on Grey Cup, uh, during Grey Cup week, but um, Banjo Bowl on tap, guys. I'm excited. I think, uh, I think it's going to be a, a game full of a lot of snorting, spitting, and scratching between these two clubs. Absolutely, and I agree with you 100% on the Grey Cup. I think that's going to be a great time. Looking forward to coming back out to Regina. And you know what? would be uh, a great story for all of us to cover if the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were in the Grey Cup for the third straight year. It would be something uh, pretty historic on a, as far as uh, the CFL goes. So that would be really something. Well, it'd, be, it'd just be the another significant chapter in the book the Bombers are writing of owning every special moment and Mosaic, Mosaic Stadium, since yeah. it opened in 2017, you know, or you know whether it was the first exhibition win, whether it was that first regular season home regular season home victory on Canada Day, no less, uh, you know, play, first playoff victory there, um, to, to be able to win the Grey Cup in that place, and I, it makes you wonder: would they just bus home immediately after and party in Winnipeg, or would they actually stick around and uh, you know, parade it around town? But, but there's absolutely no doubt about it, uh, you know. Whether it's Winnipeg, whether it's whether it's Regina, you know the two hotbeds in the CFL and other places too, Hamilton and uh, 
um, you know, some other spots obviously across the country, but you know, it will, it will be an awesome Grey Cup. It's going to be cold as hell, I bet. That's going to be the, you know, but, but the Grey Cup is a week earlier than usual, two weeks or three weeks earlier than last, uh, than last season. Um, so, but you know, you know, they're going to put a show on. They were supposed to put the show on in 2020. The 2020 they're supposed to put the show on, or is that Hamilton? No, it's yeah, 2020. It's Regina, yeah. Regina. So they've been they've been you know at this and thinking about this for a long time. And hey, maybe this is their uh, maybe this is a real opportunity for this organization to redeem itself, beginning with Wednesday night's media party and putting it on, <laughs> uh, you know, with with pulling no stops. Yeah. Right on, man. It's gonna be fun, fellas. This was fun. Appreciate you uh, hopping on bonfire and uh, breaking this one down uh, for everybody out there. We will be back at it, uh, Bonfire Midweek Tuesday at 7.30. Chris Walby, the legendary one and only, joins me for the pregame show Friday, live at 3 o'clock, postgame after the Banjo Bowl, after dark, as always, here on the Bonfire. See you next time.